religion, science, myths and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We're investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensional with Robert Wallace to Undiscovered Spiritual Realities. Greetings and welcome to Spiritual Realities. I'm Robert Wallace. Today we're going to be talking about interdimensional matters concerning you, as always. But today we're going to focus on naming some of these planes of existence according to the great occult masters and teachers whose lessons we have available to us. Information which has been kept, so to speak, as an open secret, in that anyone can find this information who seeks it with the World Wide Web and the limitless availability of books which are no longer being read, one can come to find themselves interdimensionally in the literature, in the teachings of the past. So today, let's talk about how one goes about finding themselves in another dimension. So according to different schools of thought, the ability to experience other dimensions uh, through states of consciousness uh, that we raise ourselves up to come by means of a couple different possible ways. We know some people take psychedelics to do this. We know that some purport to have these experiences in the way of meditation. And we know that there are some people, maybe even yourself, who have experienced spiritual experiences, realities, and phenomena since they can remember as a natural experience and as a phenomena that occurs as a result of past life karma, perhaps undeveloped consciously. With that said, let's discuss some of the methods used by some of the schools of thought that are designed to help one to develop these abilities. It's not really uh, of any use to talk about how that some people have these abilities without knowing how and why that they have them, or from whence they've come, or uh, who are maybe unable to wield these abilities. Perhaps they're flashes of insight, uncontrolled, random even. So let's talk about something that does do people any good. How can you develop yourself so that you can increase this instance, this phenomena, and at the same time, you are able to bring it about on demand. So the question really comes down to what is the apparatus that we use in order to control these dimensions? Rather, control our state of mind in which we put ourselves, which affects what we are able to perceive. And also by controlling our state of mind that we are able to have any kind of influence on the things in our environment specifically things that exist in other dimensions that are so driven by our mind conception of them. If we take thinking as a starting point in consideration of all of the senses and the faculties that we have available to us in order to uh, understand our life, the world, and our power over our 
life in this world because with our thinking we're able to affect what we do in the body where we go what we make of what we're experiencing it's smartest to start there if a person's insane in the mind they are not going to be effective in the body so having your mind your thinking arranged in such a way that allows you to perceive into other worlds turns out to be the means of orienting yourself to these other planes of existence with that said let's consider how we think rudolf steiner talks extensively on this subject and his writings in particular his very famous writing the philosophy of spiritual activity also known as the philosophy of freedom also known as intuitive thinking as a spiritual path and this is uh, a volume that steiner writes to help us understand the notion of freedom the organization of our thought life and how a properly regulated and refined thought life is capable of bringing us into relationship with the cosmos and the spiritual realities all around us. In terms of how people move into these other states of consciousness, I could dare to try and sum up very briefly the shift that takes place in one's mind in order to remove one's self, one's conscious presence in the physical dimension from that realm and allow it to perceive raised uh, into other other realms other frequencies dimensions planes of existence dimensions realms etc we know that the goal and the primary teaching of meditation taught to us is that we might come to a place of non-thought and in non-thought all manner of phenomena is promise to us. The beginning of knowledge and the awakening into higher worlds. The idea, though, of non-thought has been taken by many to be either an anecdotal sort of idea, one in which one can simply relax peacefully and remain brain dead. And in the process, they come out Ah, relaxed, refreshed. Sometimes their problems have gone away. Sometimes they're in a better mood and they feel lighthearted. They feel rested. But how often do these relaxation sessions, or I'm sorry, meditation sessions, result in actual spiritual growth in a way that we recognize as being uh, aligned with our spiritual goals, desires? Quite often and normally so, it's not at all. We find ourselves looking at the back of our eyelids and wondering, what time are we done with this? What do I got to do today? What so-and-so said to us? What we're going to do this weekend? If I can just get myself to be quiet for the last three minutes of this meditation, I'm going to reward myself with something. You know, at the end of the day, these sorts of meditative practices that aren't actually leading us with our own conscious thoughts into how we can hold our thinking still, how we can suspend, in a sense, our thinking in a web, and so hang it upon nothing, in a sense, and really remove ourselves from out of our physical concerns so that we might rise up in higher dimensions, without which we are no different. 
them before we did our meditation. I would like to give a quick key to meditation that could, for you, as it has for me and so many others, lead into new experiences in your meditations. I am, again, going to refer to the plant meditation that Rudolf Steiner discusses in How to Know Higher Worlds, also known as the attainment of uh, higher worlds and their attainment, rather knowledge of higher worlds and their attainment. And in the, about the second chapter and throughout the book, Steiner does elaborate on ways of thinking that bring us into these other dimensions. But in the plant meditation that he gives, there's a key and that key is while we use the plant to meditate upon as in its ephemeral petals of its blossom as a jumping off point a connection point back into the spiritual world from whence it comes projected into physical existence as we consider in our thinking the thoughts pertaining to a plant this is in light of or rather in spite of having no way to stop our thinking we place our attention then outside of us on the matters concerning the plant so we ask ourselves what is it like for this plant to stare up at the ceiling all day or out over this meadow to feel this air conditioner and this fan blowing by it to hear the rustling winds over the meadow whatever the case may be for the plant that you are meditating upon. And this kind of line of questioning brings us closer and closer to thinking selflessly by extending ourselves from our own concerns to those of the object of observation. And in so doing, we achieve an interesting effect. Over the course of this meditation, with some other details, I must admit, uh, that may enhance and ensure your success in this endeavor. You find that your visual faculty, the perception of sight, begins to yield some interesting results, some spiritual phenomena, colors, lighting, and Actual inanimate objects that now begin to seem to move, maybe, for you. Begin to awaken to your vision, to your consciousness, in your gaze, before your mind's eye. In a way that lets you know that you've come into a higher frequency. That the spectrum of light that you now are peering into is much different than before you started this meditation. Interestingly, the room seems to get dark and the plant seems to become brighter by contrast, uh, astral light. And the plant appears also then to float. It seems to be stretching and floating and waving back and forth toward the right and the left as it levitates up and down, stretching higher, lowering itself and higher and lowering right before you. How is this so? And with our attention, holding only the considerations. See, we wish to suspend our own thinking, but if we cannot, if we must have a thought on something, let it be on the thing we are observing from its own perspective. And thereby we will enter into it 
And so, as the bright astral light of the blossom grows ever brighter, and the room darker and darker even so by contrast, we blast over into another dimension. A dimension of white light, clear rays, peaceful, joyful pleasure, bliss. We look out ahead of us, and in all the whiteness, we see a horizon, a line just in front of us, and a being standing upon it. In this being, we recognize as that plant, its true spirit before us, a being. Perhaps he's humanoid in nature, colored in the colors of the petals of the plant that we've done our meditation into and that we are confronted by. And we smile and we feel so much joy and bliss. You see, now we may feel tempted to take our hands off the break of our thoughts, and we may choose to turn the train around, as it were, and begin from the intellectualizing of our own consciousness to conversate with ourselves, or perhaps this being on this magnificent occasion in this phenomena. And we should not be deceived, because this will only bring us back from whence we've come. Rather, to whence we've come. To from whence we've come. Let's return back now to regular physical existence. And we're back. The question as to how we are going to develop ourselves mentally is not one that is far from our ability to comprehend. We know from the beginning, biblically, that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Perhaps you've heard it said that wisdom is the application of knowledge. The meaning and the depth of such an idea might rouse one to the consideration of those words. And I find that when we practice the knowledge given to us by more experienced, trusted brethren, and we work it through a faithful, childlike faith and a belief in the wisdom and the teaching that is being taught to us, we take that knowledge and we practice it, and we find the wisdom inside of ourselves as we do what we're supposed to do. And this is a way in which this knowledge converts itself into a wisdom, into a wisdom that is ours and becomes true to us, not because we are blindly believing it, but because we have tested it, we have tried it, and we have found the reason for it. And the truth has revealed itself to us, and it is that that causes us to believe, not the command of another that we should blindly believe. But nowadays, to suggest that someone hold in suspension their own critical, suspect, and skeptical thinking so that they can try with an open mind and a fresh, clean palate, a new type of thinking or knowledge. 
that they might reveal to themselves the meaning of the knowledge and from there on grow in themselves standing on as it were the shoulders of giants yes the forerunners the brethren who've come before and who've walked the path and who have called back sending down the ladder that others may come up behind them in their path there's a lot to be said for heeding the knowledge of the great scriptures. So if you're not already involved in a spiritual philosophy, I highly recommend the tactful, concise language of a trained Christian occultist. And if you want further recommendation, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You want Rudolf Steiner. That's RudolfSteiner.org. You want How to Know Higher Worlds and an Outline of Occult Science. He's got over 360 books to his name. Well, granted, about 30 books he wrote. The other uh, 330 books or so are compilations, collections of his writings, his lectures, and other documentation where Rudolf Steiner makes very clear that the Western path of initiation is found in the teachings of the Rosicrucians. It's found in the Western occult esoteric traditions that have brought forth a cognitive uh, way of approaching their spirituality. Different from the way of the West and of ancient times, we are a new people in a new time in a new place. We have new ways of getting things done. And by new, I'm talking about for about the last 600 years or so. Since about the 1400s or so. The Middle Ages. So, with that said, the development of the thinking faculties, the wisdom text of all the world's religions they prepare us as the scriptures say Jesus thought it nothing to share a mind with God we know that as a man thinketh in his heart so is he according to your faith so be it unto you if we know that our thinking has the capacity to allow us to pray we're told pray without ceasing we know that if we treat our thoughts like prayers, that God gives us the desires of our heart, that all of our, all of our thoughts are known. And as a result, we want to be conscious of our thoughts because our thoughts are what make us. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This can be horrifying. The more we reflect on the unconscious and scandalous thoughts of our hearts. And on the other hand, for those who have been cultivating themselves faithfully 
unto the return of their master, they will have a joyous recompense for their faithfulness. Let us repent. The wisdom of the scriptures, in particular, biblically speaking, if we take the book of Proverbs, and from even the Catholic Bible, we take the wisdom of Solomon in the book of Sirach, if we take the wisdom sayings of the Buddha, the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita, if we take all this mystery knowledge, if we retain the scriptures in our heart and we write them upon the tablet of our heart, if we make this knowledge into wisdom our own by doing so, it changes what might be termed our characterological disposition. That is the disposition of our character. If our true way of thinking and being is in alignment with our values and not merely values to one side and our own thinking and natural way of being in its own undisciplined way contrasting each other for there's one thing to be a hearer of the word and a, another thing to be a doer of the word to praise God with our lips and but our hearts to be far from him to say externally a statement of faith but internally we do not know why do we not know it because we have not applied it to our hearts and how do we do that we do that through study through learning through the application of knowledge and witnessing the truth which builds our faith and as we go deeper and deeper into this knowledge and wisdom knowing that it takes us into places and ways of being that we never have been before then the weight of the teachings take on added gravity. We know that so much of the surface knowledge that we've been taught that forever in a day we passed up are so so infinitely true that even amongst those scriptures between those words and the verses between in between in between everything else there's so much knowledge we're just incapable of perceiving for what it is and so we do not take the time if we do not reflect to make the most of that knowledge and to further refine ourselves perhaps we feel it's enough that we know the golden rule to love your neighbor as yourself all the teachings teach us that but then there's deeper and deeper connotations of what these things mean and we can take it as far as you can possibly take it and you still will not have taken it far enough until you find the truth this is to say there is plenty to study and there's plenty of depth and all of the teachings to refine yourself until your end of days. So as soon as we take in some knowledge, we apply it, we find the wisdom in it, we will sooner or later beget more lack. We will see where now we lack discipline. We know how, how little we know, the more we know. And the further we learn, the further we become convinced that we know nothing. And the more pure that we make ourselves the more that we pure ourselves the more perhaps humbled will we become and recognizing our lostness our broken state our corruption and our sin 
we can continue to refine ourselves to the utmost. There is no fear of over-refining yourself. With this said, it really does come front and center the importance of taking time to reflect on what we put into our minds and into our hearts. See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we put around us, what we perceive day in and day out, and the way we think, they make us. They make up our caricaturological disposition. And if our character, which is really the heart or the core qualities that come out of our spirit, which is that singular kernel that from life to life reincarnates and experiences everything, whereas our, our soul and our etheric bodies, they are dissipated and reconstructed anew in new circumstances as a, as a new being every time we are incarnated. But what we've done with ourselves between these lives and the karma and the effects of these karma which become our dharma, they're found in this caricaturological disposition that make us the way that we are. Our temperaments, our priorities, our personal challenges, our life path. These characteristics are just an effect of the causes that we've set into motion through our past life experiences and our experiences between death and rebirth. As our spirit reflects on its life and it's reintroduced to its spiritual family and to its spiritual home from whence it's come, where it exists while it sleeps in between lives and will at the end of the judgment, the end of the earth epoch, will return back into the spiritual state forevermore. And we reconstruct for ourselves all the lessons that our character now and in our spirit must be exposed to, must be challenged by, must be refined by. And these circumstances and this karma that we have to experience now in another life, we, we write out the life that we need. We pick our parents according to the characteristics that are needed, and we bring our parents together. And they have us, and we enter into the world and we forget all of the plan that we set up for ourselves and we feel challenged and we feel things perhaps are not fair but these hard challenges that we set up for ourselves are exactly what we need to grow and this may be only something that we can appreciate after we've sown the seed in the dirt of the earth when we drop the body after the life lived hopefully well lived and that seed then grows in the spiritual world into uh, another being, into our new self, into fruit that is harvested and useful for the beings of this other plane. Our future, but everybody's future. So there's a lot to be said for personal development and for accepting what is happening to us in the right spirit. If something's coming to us and we're saying to ourselves, why is this happening? And then we stop and we consider, wait a second, the reasons for this, if for nothing else, perhaps it's a karma, perhaps it's a blessing that's come to us, or perhaps we're paying up front for something that we will be rewarded for later. Whatever the reason, the poise that we maintain, the tactfulness, the patience, the understanding, this is how we make the most. And this is how we redeem the time. This is how we end the karma. 
If we lash out when things are hard, then the lessons have to repeat. Our lesson hasn't been learned until we can remain calm and poised and control without losing ourselves. This is the object of privation when we discipline ourselves with fasting or by refraining to do the things that we enjoy. It's a discipline that in withholding our lower self, we strengthen our higher self. I must decrease so that he may increase. We disconnect ourselves from the pleasures of the earth, knowing also in that state called Kamaloka between lives when we look back over our life and we detach in the fires of purgatory and in that purification and looking and going back over our life backward in the state called Kamaloka, we come to disconnect ourselves from all of the pleasures of the world that we were so attached to. In, in that attachment, we bound ourselves. We bound our freedom up. We bound our future up. And to the degree that we gave way and we let go and we rose above those conditions as transient toward an eternal life, do we receive an easier detachment and do we actually come to enjoy the fruits of our labor that as the scriptures say all of our works are burnt up and what remains this we keep and that is that what is done selflessly and in love but we lose the qualities of our egos our own personal needs and those can be burnt out of us at last at the last rather after our passing in the flesh or we can do it while we're alive in our meditative life and our reflective life and our disciplines and so thereby save ourselves not just suffering in this world where much negativity must come of our selfishness but suffering in the next where everything is enhanced and much stronger a force than it is here so that what was bad here so to so to speak those naughty things that we did which seemed minor, which were actually much much worse in the spiritual world, particularly the thoughts that accompanied our actions. And so even our good deeds, so to speak, those things that were done, not our righteousness, for our righteousness is as dirty rags, not that it, we could make ourselves good. They called Jesus good, and he said, why do you call me good? No one is good but the Father. So then we know that we are only refining ourselves as a duty as much as we can in preparation for a future refinement. This is our quest. The more progress we make, the less karma do we need to work out in a future life. So in doing all these things, we bring ourselves into reconciliation with the spiritual world from whence we've come. And this is the path of liberation. This has been Robert Wallace, reminding you to continue to refine your heart.